Good morning. <laughs> so uh, this is a long time ago. Uh, there used to be this little uh, gospel tract or gospel booklet, and it was called The Four Spiritual Laws. And I think Campus Crusade made it. I think Campus Crusade is crew now, but they, it was just a, like a four or five page, just little booklet, and it shared the, the gospel, right? But the first line of that, of that uh, track or that, that uh, brochure said, God has a wonderful plan for your life. So the first time I saw Carol, because this was really a popular track back then, everybody was handing them out and stuff, and I said, I, I went to Carol and I walked up to her and I said, God has a wonderful plan for your life and it's me. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> Some guys did though. That was like the Christian pickup line. If there's, you know, it, but... The, the, thing about it, the thing about it is, and it raises the question we want to talk about today is, what is God's will for my life? Don't we often think or wonder, so God, what are you doing or what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to figure that out? Am I doing what you want me to do? Am I not doing what I'm, you know, my life's not going real well right now. Is that because I'm out of your will? Some of you either here in, in house or you're watching, you're, you're watching online, you're going, I don't think I've been in God's will for a long time because I did this and I think that's over. Those days are over of being in God's will. We need to talk about that. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. I'm going to re actually read through a passage that Mark uh, you spoke on last weekend, uh, but I want to do it to just bridge the context. So Acts 15, verse 36, and as I go through this passage, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just stop, and I'm going to make some comments along the way so that we can understand contextually what's happening, because there's a number of things in the context, and I'm assuming that some of you weren't here last week or the weekend before, and uh, I want you to feel like you're up to speed with what's happening so we can all understand it together. So Acts 15, verse 36. So I'll be jumping in with some comments from time to time. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Paul and Barnabas have, you know, Acts 15 is the Jerusalem council where they had to decide what are we going to do with the Gentiles? Are, there, are we going to require the Gentiles to be circumcised and to follow the law? And the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15 of Acts said, no, they don't need to be, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to uh, follow the law, but they need to be sensitive to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Okay? So that was the, that was, so they decided, Paul and Barnabas decided to go back together, visit the churches, bring the, the, the uh, results from the Jerusalem Council, especially to Antioch, where they had a high Jewish uh, population, so they were going to go visit the churches, see how they're doing, and share with them the results of, because the, people are waiting on this decision. All right, let's get back. Barnabas wanted, to, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not, had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Okay, so 
John Mark uh, basically went on the first journey and basically partway through the journey, he turned and left them. And so Barnabas wants to bring John Mark again. Paul is opposed to it, so opposed that at this point, he's not willing, he's not willing to, to, to stay with Barnabas anymore. Now, what's interesting here is they've been together, Paul and Barnabas have been together in Antioch for two and a half years. So this was a solid partnership that they had. They worked together very well. And so this is a major division between two godly men, okay? Let's see what happens. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches. So Paul takes John Mark, who is his cousin, he takes him to Cyprus, which the island of Cyprus, which is Barnabas' home island. He grew up on Cyprus. Paul, on, on the other hand, takes with him Silas, but he also is going to meet up with Timothy, and we're going to see Luke is with him also in, in a moment, uh, who wrote the, uh, the uh, book of Acts. Luke wrote the gospel of, Act, gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, so we'll see that. So they basically go their, their different ways. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where the disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium uh, spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, let's just stop for a minute. And I don't want to take a lot of time here, but I want to point this out. <clears throat> the Jerusalem Council said that if you are a Gentile, if you're not Jewish, you don't have to be circumcised. Circumcision was no longer necessary, okay? Now, what's going on here? Timothy is being taken, right? And Paul says, Timothy, we need to get you circumcised. Why? Well, the, the, the results are that they're taking to the Gentiles is you don't have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to follow the law. So why are they circumcising Timothy? Well, they're doing it because they know that if Timothy's not circumcised, he's, they're going to have no voice. They're going to have no opportunity to take the gospel to Jewish people that they're going to be meeting with. And so, so there won't be a burden, and so there won't be... They're doing it not because they have to. They're doing it not out of obligation, but they're doing it out of love. They're doing it because Paul basically said at one point in his letters, he said, I will become all things to all people so that the gospel may go out. And that's what they're doing here. They're saying, we're willing, Timothy is basically saying, I'm willing to be circumcised because I want to be able to have other people hear the gospel. This is a sacrifice that they're making, not out of an obligation to follow the law, but out of an obligation of love, wanting people to hear the gospel. It's a, it's a sacrifice they're making. And so you need to understand that's just a significant dis, uh, uh, difference in this decision they're making. Okay. So as they travel from town to town, they deliver the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's the Jerusalem council. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. One of the things you'll see in the book of, in a book of Acts is when they do things right and when they get things right, you'll see phrases like, God added to their numbers and God blessed them. And so when they're on the right track, 
you know, it's almost like Luke puts it down. He says, the churches began to thrive. The, ch- the church was thriving. Good things were happening. God was blessing. People were coming to Christ. Many were added to the church. And, and generally what we see is when they get past these roadblocks, um, good things happen. And Luke points those out. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the board of Mysia, uh, Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, and, uh, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and down to Troas. All right, so know what's going on here. They have a good plan to visit all these churches, but when they try to go visit all these churches, they're prevented two times, and basically they're prevented by God not to go and do that, okay? It's a good plan, but God says no to their good plan. All right, let's finish up this uh, part, and then we'll go into the application. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, uh, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so the only thing I want you to see at the end is the shift in the in the preposition, or excuse me, in the, in the pronouns. Uh, notice what's going on here. Uh, it's, let me read it one more time, that last verse. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the good news of the gospel to them. Who is we and us? It's Luke. You know, Luke, he, you know, we're, we're, we're filming this right now for, for the, uh, to be broadcast on the net. And that. It's, it's almost like what's going on here is Luke is writing, giving us this account. But then we step back and Luke kind of says, and we went. It's like you're looking at the man behind, you know, behind the camera. It's, you're seeing Luke is including himself. So we know that, that, that Paul and Silas, right, and Timothy and Luke. So there's at least four. And we know that makes sense because this is how we got the account of, uh, this is how we get the account of uh, Paul's missionary journeys and all that's going on here. Luke is giving us his, his personal account. So he doesn't always include himself, but here he's kind of pulling the curtain back and saying, yeah, I was there too. Okay. All right. So the question is, how does God lead us? That's really what we want to address for the rest of our time here. How does God lead us, right? Well, uh, number one, God leads us when we obey him. Now, it sounds really easy, but l- let's, be, let's be clear. Uh, the bottom line is, most of the time, we know what God's will is for our life. At least we know what the next step is. We know that God is either telling us to stop doing something or he's t- telling us to start doing something, and we're fighting him about it. We're arguing with him about it. We're, we're negotiating with him about it. But we generally know what the next step is, what we should do or what we should stop doing. We generally know that. Now, Paul and Barnabas were both godly men, and they were seeking to do God's will. They were trying to do what God was instructing them to do. And, and so they had open hearts to what God was leading them to do. We love this verse, but think about it for a minute. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, 
and he will make your path straight. The part that we struggle with is we want God's will, but we're not willing to submit to him. Paul and Barnabas were both willing to submit to him, even though they had the disagreement. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mark talked about it last week. See, if you want to know God's will, you need to give your will over to God and say, God, I know this is what I want, but what do you want? Have you ever asked that? Have you asked God that recently? God, what do you want? Because too often we, we say, I want this, or I need this, or this is what will make me happy. Instead of saying, God, what do you want of me? That's a great way to wake up every day. God, what do you want me to do today? See, that's the first step. Now, here's, here's the negative part of that. If you decide, I don't want to follow God's will. I know what it is. I know he wants me to stop doing this. I know he wants me to start doing this. I know what God wants me to do. The question isn't whether I know what God's will is or at least what the next step is. I just don't want to do it. Here's what's going to happen. If you decide that you're going to choose to do your will over God's will, you know what will happen? God is going to let you. God is going to let you go your own way. And when God lets you go your own way, you are going to destroy your life. You're going to mess your life up. Some of you are living examples of that. Some of you can look back at the past. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now where you've just decided, I'm going to do my thing, and I don't really care what God's will is. You know, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 1, verse 24. In the midst of that, Paul says, they were doing all these shameful things. They were doing all these things. They had turned their backs on God, and God had pleaded with them. God had revealed himself to them, and they turned their back over and over and over. And it finally says in verse 24, and God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart. You know how sad that is? When God gives you over, and he says, if you are hell-bent to destroy your life, I'm going to let you. That's a bad path to be on. You know, I think of Judas, the Last Supper, when Jesus is, I believe he's, he's holding out opportunities. You don't have to go this way. You don't have to do this. And finally, Judas crosses a line. You see it as you read the Gospels. He crosses a line, and Jesus says, what you have to do, do quickly. And John's Gospel says, and when Judas walked out that night, it was dark. It was night. And what he meant by that was not it's nighttime. What he meant was spiritual darkness. God will give you what you want. If you want to walk away from him, he will give you that. But it is an awful thing to get from God. So, so the first point, if you, want to know, if you want to know what God's will is, you have to be obedient to it when he reveals it to you. Secondly, God has many ways to accomplish his will. The disagreement between Paul and Barnabas is very interesting. I don't think either one of them had a bad plan. They had this plan together. Barnabas' plan of bringing John Mark, they, Paul severely disagreed with him to the point he says, if he's going, I'm not going. 
That's really what it came down to. And these are both men of God. These are both men who are going out to serve God, right, on a missionary journey. And they come to the place where they they say, after two and a half years, you're going this way, I'm going this way. They had such a sharp disagreement over John Mark that they parted company. Um, Paul went one way and uh, Barnabas went another. But here's the thing. They both were successful. Paul's ministry was successful. Barnabas' ministry was successful. In fact, Barnabas' ministry with, with John Mark was successful because if you read later on, Basically, Paul says, send Mark, send John Mark, because he is helpful for ministry. You say, well, Barnabas was right, Paul was wrong. Yeah, probably. They're both sinners. We're all sinners, right? We don't always get it right. We'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the amazing truths of Scripture is that God can accomplish his perfect will through sinful people. God doesn't need us but for some reason, he chooses to use us. Isn't that amazing? I think that's, that's just crazy that he does. Paul and Barnabas disagreed on what the next step should be, even though, even though they pulled different, they pulled together. They were still pulling the same direction, but they had different plans, and they departed. They weren't enemies, but they were ministering different. Here's what I've learned. Maybe you have too. Um, in life, God gives us a blueprint. He doesn't give us a blueprint. He gives us a game plan, not a blueprint. Um, think about this. When you think of a blueprint, like think of a blueprint for a building, a house, maybe your house. It has the dimensions all laid down specifically. Uh, what the foundation depth will be, how wide it'll be, what it'll be made of, uh, all of the floorboards, the joists, um, where the electrical's going to go, where the plumbing's going to go, where the heating, cooling system, the HVAC system's going to be, uh, the walls, the insulation, how thick, uh, this, this, the, the different uh, structure uh, of first or second floor, it's going to have the materials of what's going to be used. It's all very detailed to the point that it'll be pages and pages and pages uh, that you follow. And you go to the right page, right area, and it says, this is the plan for this area. Many people look at their lives and say, that's the way God plans my life. I want to disagree with that. I want to suggest that God doesn't do, does it, discovering God's plan isn't looking at the blueprint he has for your life, but look at the game plan. Let me give you an example. So uh, we're wearing, many of us are wearing jerseys today, and I don't have my Buffalo Bills jersey on. By the way, they're a pretty good team this year, if you haven't noticed. Um, I don't get to brag that often, so, you know, give me a break. Um, but let me, let me, so sometimes what will happen at the beginning of the game, the coach will say in the locker room, here's the game plan. This is the defense we're going to run. This is the defensive set we're going to run. This is the offensive set we're going to run. We're going to try running. 
We're going to give it a shot. We're going to try to see if we can get some yardage running. We're going to go run first, throw second, right? And so at the end of the first half, the plan kind of works, but it's not really good. And so the coach comes in. He says, okay, we're going to change the game plan. We're going to throw a lot more. We're going to throw on first down, and we're going to do, you know, we're going to do a draw play. Don't get bogged down in all that. All I'm saying is that sometimes when the circumstances are such, the game plan will change as the circumstances do. I believe that's how God leads us. I don't believe, because here's why it's important. Some of you feel that if God has a game, if he has a a blueprint and you fail to do the right thing on the blueprint, that the whole house is going to be a mess. It'll never be built right. And the house meaning your life. So you felt like I made the wrong decision here, so therefore God is done with me. God can't use me. It's all over. And I just want to tell you that that is not true, that God uses broken people, people who have failed him, people who have... You know, look at Peter. Peter's a great example. He denies him how many times? Three times. Who became one of the great leaders of the early church? Peter. You see... It's true, some of your choices have devastating consequences. But that doesn't mean that God is through with you. I always say that if you have a pulse and you have a breath, then God has a plan for your life. God loves to use redeemed, broken lives like yours and mine. And I just want you to, if you're at a place where you've been paralyzed by your past decisions, Just remember that God loves to redeem the past and create a new future for you. But it is going to come as you're obedient to his will. That's where you probably got into trouble in the first place. Here's the third thing that I think we can learn. God's plan is not always clear to us. I wish it was, but it's not. Wouldn't it be great if you got just a to-do list every day from God? You know, three o'clock, be, you know, you know it would be great, but God doesn't do that. And often we're going, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? I don't understand, right? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? Um, here's what I want. Here's how I want God to work in my life. I don't know about you, but this is how I want God to work in my life. I want God to fully lay his plan out at the beginning of the day And then I get to say, okay, I like that. I like, no, I don't like that. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah, I can live with that. Okay, if you take that out, then I'm good with it. I want want to have the final approval on God's plan. Do you do that? Do you ever do that? You know what God's plan is, and God's telling you to do something hard or something you don't want to do, and you go, no, I don't want to do that. I, I want to do this, this, not that, get that out, this, this. And then I'm good with it. But that's not the way it works, is it? Because the way it works is I get God's plan for today and then I get to obey. That's really what it is. Because why? He's the potter and I'm the clay, right? I think that's in Scripture somewhere. The book of Romans, maybe? So why is it so hard to discover God's plan? I think there's two reasons why we struggle to understand God's plan. Number one, we're self-centered sinners, 
and we have a natural path that is away from God, not towards him. Paul wrote about that. He said this in Romans 7. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but, I, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I, do, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I that do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Paul's basically saying, I have a pull that pulls me away from doing God's will. I don't generally fall into wanting to do God's will because I'm kind of a selfish sinner and my pull is away from God. Secondly, we don't always see clearly, do we? Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He says, for now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul basically says, I here's, a, here's where I get into trouble. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I think I see really clear, but I don't. And what Paul's saying is, my problem with God's will is I don't see clearly. Because my eyes don't see what God's eyes see, and I don't get him. I'm not always in sync with him. You ever felt that way about God? So what do you do? What you do is you make plans. Paul and Barnabas made plans, right? They did. They made plans. Let's go visit the churches. And then they decided, Paul said, uh, or Barnabas said, let's take John Mark. Paul says, no, I don't like that plan. Barnabas says, well, I'd like it. And Paul says, well, I don't. Well, I like it. I don't. Okay, you go your way, I go my way. So Paul says, okay, let's go visit the churches like we intended. Jesus says, no, I don't want you to do that. And he tries again. He says, no, I don't want you to do that. Wait, it's a good plan. Yes, it's a good plan, but that's not my plan. Because you're a sinner, you don't, you know, you generally don't get this. And number two, you don't see clearly. I see clearly and I understand. And then he has this vision of a man from Macedonia, which is God saying, here's the plan. You know what God did there for, for Paul? He called an audible. Yes, I'm going to use a football term again. Sorry. So for those of you that don't know, sometimes a quarterback will get at the line of scrimmage, he'll see the defense, and he'll say, the plan that the coach called isn't going to work. It's dumb. I'm going to call a plan, a better plan. I'm going to change it. And he'll call something, and he'll say some word, and, and the, the offense will know, hey, we're not running the same plan. We're doing a different plan. What God did with Paul was call an audible. Now, if you don't understand an audible, watch some football today with a football person, and they'll tell you kind of when the quarterback is calling an audible. And, and Jesus is our quarterback. Sometimes in our lives, he'll call an audible. That's okay when he does that. We just have to be flexible. We have to be ready when he does that. Um, our job is to just be ready and to get things ready, and to be ready to behave and be, react the way that God wants us to in those situations. Because when the quarterback calls an audible, the tight end, the wide receivers, the, the linemen, the running backs, they all know what they're supposed to do. And I love this verse in the Bible. I want you to just write the reference down. Proverbs 21, 31, because it's a great verse, and it gives us encouragement. 
It says this, Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for battle, but victory rests with the Lord. I love that because it gives both parts of it. That we have a part to do. Get the horse ready. Be ready. Be ready to move. Be, be packed. Be, be prepared. But then understand that if you do get a victory, it ain't your victory. The Lord gave you the victory. And so that's a great balance, right? Let me give you one more point about knowing the will of God. God sometimes will lead you into a valley. Okay? That, that's what often perplexes us, right? When we're, we feel like we're doing the will of God and then all, th- all of a sudden bad things start happening to us and we go, whoa, 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 hang on. No, no, I'm doing the will of God here. What is going on? Sometimes we wonder, did I take a wrong turn? Did I sin? Wasn't that, wasn't that Job's friend's thing? Remember Job? So Job is in the Old Testament. He, the Bible says uh, in, in the book of Job, he was, one of, he was the right, most righteous man that walked on the earth. And all of a sudden, he loses every bit of wealth that he has, all of his cattle. Then he loses his family. They're dead. Then he loses his health. And so his friends come from a long way off and they gather around him and they just sit with him. They don't say a word. They show empathy towards him. They mourn with him. Then they do what Christians do today. They try to fix things with the truth. Their truth. The problem is, They think that they have both feet or at least one foot on solid ground and they're reaching down to help poor Job and pull him up. But what they don't realize is their their foot that they think is on solid ground ain't on solid ground. And so they begin to say to Job, what did you do? You must have done something. Your suffering is probably, what did you do? Come on, come clean. And they just, it's just four of them. It's just like, you did something. No, I didn't. You did something. No, I didn't. And all through that, Job just basically says, I just would wish to have an audience with God. I just want God to speak to God. And towards the end of the book, he gets that audience with God. Right? He says, out of a whirlwind. God speaks to him. You know, today, if we wrote that story today in America, it would be like this. God came to him with his tail between his legs and kind of knocked on the door and says, Job around, I kind of need to talk to him. Hey, Job, I just want to tell you how sorry I am about all that's happened the enemy cornered me. I didn't know what to say, and I threw you under the bus. I'm sorry, bud. I, I just, he caught me off guard. I'll make it up to you. I'll give you a new family. I'll take, I'll heal you. I'll give you all your wealth back. I'll make it right for you. That's a namby-pamby God, isn't it? What does God say to Job? Who answers me? Or who wants an audience with me? 
Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? I don't remember you being there. Were you there when I put the stars in the sky? I don't remember you being there. Were you there when I said for the oceans to come this far and to stop? I don't remember you being there. Were you there? I don't remember seeing you. And Job says, shut my mouth. And at the end of the book, God talks to Job's friends and says, you guys, he doesn't say this. You're idiots. <laughs> Bring an offering to Job. In other words, he's saying, you know what? You and your truth that came down, you did a great job if you just kept your mouth shut, if you just showed compassion. But you had to bring the truth in, didn't you? Christians love to bring the truth in. They think that unless they bring the, if they show mercy, if they show compassion, and they don't bring the truth in, the truth will be lost. Let me just say to you, the church needs to show more mercy. The church needs to show more compassion and more empathy and stop worrying so much about being right and truthful because our, our foot isn't on such firm ground. Sorry, I drifted into another sermon there. <laughs> the point I want you to see is Job was in a dark valley, but he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't out of the will of God. He was right in the will of God. It was God's will that Job would suffer. And sometimes God leads us down a road that leads into the middle of a dark valley. Now, sometimes we're there because we're idiots and we made bad choices. But sometimes we're there because we're just in God's will and God leads us to a dark valley. Let me give you one more example. In the book of Daniel, there's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king basically built, he's got these advisors, and they're just basically, they're just, they're, they're saying, oh, you're the greatest king that ever walked the earth. And, you know, kissing up to him, just saying all these nice things. And he builds this huge statue, and he basically says, when uh, the trumpets sound, everybody bows down, and it's, it's a statue of himself. And um, everybody bows down, and you know, you know what happens here. Everybody's bowing with their face to the ground, but then some people are looking. You know, it's like when, you, when, when, some, when we're praying and, you know, you're looking around, and then I say to somebody, well, when we were praying, they were looking around. Well, how did, how did I know that unless I was looking around too, right? So they're doing that. So they're looking around saying, hey, those guys aren't bowing down. They go to the king and they say, hey, just so you know, king, we were offended for you on this whole thing. No, they don't say that, but essentially that's what they're saying. We saw three guys and they didn't bow down. So the king is, and, and they, get, they get them all amped up. They get them all up, the king all upset saying, I just think it's wrong. I mean, I, King, we, we bow down. We think you're, you're honorable and we should bow down to you. And these guys, I mean, come on. I mean, this just makes me angry. I don't know how it makes you feel. And they do what our, what our news network, networks and the media does with us. They get us all amped up and upset and angry and, and stuff. And, and so he's, he's all whipped up and he's all mad and he's all angry. And he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in and he says to them, and by the way, I'm summarizing this, of course. You can read about it in Daniel, the early chapters of Daniel, the book, Old Testament book. 
So they bring these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, and the king says to them, you got one chance. You either bow down right now uh, to me and to this statue, or you're going in that furnace. And they answered, and they said, king, you know, no disrespect to you, but we're never going to bow down to you. It ain't going to happen. There's only one God that we bow down to, and he ain't standing before us. Now, they don't say that, but they, they're respectful. But they say, we're not going to do it. The king just amps up the furnace. I mean, it's at the breaking point, and he, gra- he has these guys. Now, they, say, they make an amazing statement. They say, our God will deliver us. He can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. It's just not going to happen. And we just, we're, it's not to disrespect you, but it is not to disrespect our God. So he amps the furnace up. They grab them. They throw them into the furnace. The guys that grab them and throw them in the furnace are immediately torched to death. Now, why do we know that? I mean, why, why do they tell us that? They told us that to tell us this furnace was the real deal. They were on the outside and they died. So these guys are in the furnace. He doesn't hear any screaming. And he, he gets curious and he looks in and he goes, one, two, three, huh? four? Hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? How come I see four guys and the fourth guy looks like the Son of Man? What did Jesus call himself when he walked on earth? The Son of Man. Were they out of the will of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Absolutely not. They are right in the middle of the center of the will of God. But who was with them in the furnace? Jesus Christ. And that's the point. Just because you're in a valley... Just because you're in a furnace doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. What do you do when you're in that situation? You look for Jesus. What does the 23rd Psalm say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. The will of God God's not making his will a secret to you. You probably already know what the next step is. What is it that God is saying, I need you to stop doing this? Or he's saying, I need you to start doing this. What is that? Because that's where you get the will of God, when you take that first step and do the next step. And that you write your plans down in pencil with a big eraser. Because sometimes God's going to call an audible. <laughs> he did with Paul. Twice. <laughs> no, nope, you're not doing that. No, nope, you're not doing that. You're doing this. So make your plans. Got to have plans. But don't make your plans and say, God, here's my plans. Now I ask, I want you to approve them. You say, God, here's my plans. Now, God, what are your plans? And how do they, how do they work together? And God, I got a big eraser in case you want to change things. God's will is revealed to us, but it's revealed to us as we obediently say yes.
some of you have been saying no to God over and over and over, and you still want God's will, but you want it to be approved by you, and that's not going to happen. So hopefully, in all of that we've talked about in the will of God, you'll look at it different. Maybe you're here or you're watching and you go, I think my life is over with God because I think I've, I've done things that are so bad that God could never use me. And I would just say, look at Paul, look at Peter. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I, I just felt like God's life, plan for my life was a blueprint, but now I see that it's a game plan. Now I see that God still can use me and wants to use me. What is the next step that God is asking you to do and are you going to do it? Because it's going to start with obedience. If you want to know God's will, you have to obey him. Take that first step of obedience, and he'll show you the next step. Stand with me and let me pray with you. Father, thank you for revealing your will to each and every one of us. Thank you that your will is not a blueprint but a game plan. Thank you, Father, that sometimes in our lives you're going to call an audible, and we need to have an eraser ready because our plans are in pencil and we can change them. Help us not to fall in love with our plans. Help us to fall in love with you. Help us to also understand, Father, that sometimes because when we're in a valley or in a furnace, that it may not be because we've done anything wrong at all. But when we're in those places, help us to look for you because you promised to meet us in those places. And we're thankful for that, Father, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.